Hey, Travis. Norm! N- no, that's not... I... Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were someone else. It's Schmanners! I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Hello, my dove. How are you this rainy Cincinnati day? Doing fine. Uh, you know what I like to do. No, I On don't. a rainy day. What's that? Sit back and relax with a glass of beer. With a frosty beverage? Yes. Now, in this episode, let's just jump to it without... Let's cut through all this witty banter. <laughs> Get right to it and say that normally, um, well, okay, so here's my little caveat. We're going to talk a lot about drinking in this episode. We're going to talk a lot about bars in this episode. It's an episode about bar etiquette. Yes. Um, Teresa and I uh, both imbibe the alcoholic beverage, but we have no judgment towards people who don't for whatever reason, and we don't want you to feel left out from this episode, but just know that kind of the norm we will be taking in this episode is like 90% of it will be directed towards people who drink at bars, though we will try to accommodate those who just enjoy going to bars to hang out with friends. Yes. Okay, that was it. That's all I had. <laughs> so hopefully you've got some stuff now because I sure didn't do any research or prepare anything. We actually got some help and advice from some of our favorite bartenders, Stuart Wellington and his wife, Charlene, from Hinterland's Bar in New York City. Well, also, you might know Stuart from the Flophouse, which is also on Maximum Fun with us. Um, but yes, he and his wife uh, are the owners and operators of the Hinterland's, the coolest bar in all of New York. <laughs> if, if you did box art for bars, you could do that as a pull quote from Travis McElroy. Well, so in our little uh, historical section, there... You said that like we had like sting music. Oh. Do I need to come up with a special music sting for the the historical section? I think think that'll work. Thank you. Um, I I wanted to talk about bars, but you can't really talk about bars without talking about pubs. Because really... The public house is where all of our our gathering and drinking shenanigans really start. Also where there have been lots of plots plotted and conversations made and governments formed. Lots of stuff happens at a public house. Yes. Sorry. we. I'm just so very excited <laughs> because this is a topic which I actually know stuff about. Oh, and I'm okay. so excited to have things to contribute. I'm going to try really hard not to, but like, I'm just so excited to know things. Well, so one of the things that we can, we can readily trace back is uh, through Roman Britain. There were inns and what were called taberna. Uh, which is the Latin for tavern, basically. Well, um, probably the second came from the first, right? It wasn't Roman. Well, probably Latin. Tavern is probably non-Latin for taverna, right? Yeah. Okay. Didn't I say that? Yes, but you phrased it like uh, Romans, like Latin people had to come up with a word for tavern. <laughs> no. I think it's probably the other way around. Six of one, half a dozen of the other. Sure. All right. And I also keep calling them Latin people, which I don't think is correct. <laughs> yes. No, We're that's just doing a bang it. up job so far. I promise we haven't been imbibing <laughs> for this episode. Um, so these were kind of like huts or inns um, that were established along the Roman road that they built through Britain. Um, but then once the Romans left Britain, uh, the customer service of these places really kind of went down the tubes, if you know what I mean. Um and it really wasn't until the Middle Ages that things got started again. Wait, wait. I thought of a bad joke. Go oh. back to when you say went down the tubes. Say went down the tubes again. Went down the tubes. Well, that's surprising because the Romans probably took their aqueducts with them. <laughs> okay, go on. Because the Romans had plumbing right. way long before. Okay. Like, yeah. Got it. Because like, okay, so you were saying, what were you? Hmm? Where were you? What? Before the Middle you Ages. Me? I was into the Middle Ages. 
Um, they didn't, it didn't really come back until the Middle Ages when monasteries really picked up the idea of offering uh, guest houses and, and hospices to provide a lot of lodging, lodging for travelers. Okay. Um, and then a lot of these places at the monasteries, you actually got free ale and bread. Yeah, because that's the thing, right? A lot of monasteries to make money were also breweries. Yes, exactly. Um, and uh, actually, this is where the origin of to take down a peg comes from. It or originates from these brew houses um, where the ale tankers were marked inside with vertical pegs to indicate the amount of ale to be consumed in a single gulp. Interesting. You mentioned ale, uh, like barrels, right? Tankards, right? Tankards. Can I mention an interesting thing that we learned when we were in Scotland and we were doing uh, uh, tours of distilleries? Sure. So there's a law in America, uh, I think, to protect Cooper's unions, which are the people who make barrels. Oh, yeah. That you can only use barrels once for beer brewing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then, or for, you know, American whiskey, American bourbon. And so then what they do is they sell those barrels to Scotland and Ireland for them to use for their whiskeys um, so that that they, you know, are kind of getting secondhand bar- barrels, but they also get all of the added benefits of the stuff from American bourbon and uh, beer and stuff like that. How interesting. Yes. And another fun fact. A lot of the color uh, and flavor of uh, whiskey comes from the wood of the barrels that they're stored in. And you can actually see if you do a cross section of the wood slats from the barrel, the alcohol line as it bleeds through the barrel. And when that line reaches the outside of the wood, they stop using that barrel because there's no more good stuff to leak into the whiskey. I know a lot about booze, you guys. Big fan. Well, um, another thing about booze is at this point, you pretty much had ale, right? But beer was introduced um, when the Dutch and the Flemish immigrants who settled in England took advantage of the uh, the land that they got to develop hop gardens in places like Kent and Sussex. Um, and the hops were added to the ale as a preservative to make oh, beer. cool. I... Right up until this very second, did not know that there was such a distinction between ale and beer because now we use ale as kind of like, you know, uh, to describe so many different kinds of beer as a descriptor, like brown ale, you know, uh, pale ale, that kind of thing. But now this all makes so much sense to me. Um, So a little further down the line, uh, King Henry VIII Yes, tried, I've heard of him. Mm-hmm, yes, mm-hmm. yes, very famous. Uh, he actually tried to stop the brewing of beer through heavy taxation. And um, why? Well, because he wanted money from it, I guess. I see. He didn't want to just anybody to do it, and he wanted to have to, you to pay to do it. Pay him to do it. I Cause, see. Because it was good. So it wasn't like a prohibition thing. He just knew people were going to do it one way or the other, so he wanted taxes on it. Yes. Okay. Um, But then that actually was repealed. The beer tax was abolished in 1830, um, which meant that anybody could now brew the beer without a license. I see. So it lasted all the way from uh, Henry VIII's to 1830. And that's not the first, like, that's not the last time that that happened. Probably not the first time either. But, like, we had, like, the Whiskey Rebellion here in America we have all of these different times when people tried to like heavily tax. I mean, you have like the moonshine, you know, rum runners and stuff. You have prohibition. You have a lot of legislation about alcohol throughout the years. Right. But after this beer tax was repealed, um, you basically had an explosion of these beer houses, even into the fact that beer was often sold in the kitchen of people's houses. So they would invite people in to your house and just sell you beer from there. Um, but the drinking spaces in people's homes at this point then became separated. So uh, you would have seating available in a tap room, um, but standing space was only offered in the bar room. And then um, if you were more genteel, you would look for a place that advertised having a parlor. 
And once again, here's another fun fact that I know about booze. Uh, we learned this from the supersizers. And that is that back in this time period, if we're talking about like the 1600s, round about there, you know, uh, Henry VIII to Queen Elizabeth, that kind of era, uh, the water was so very polluted, mm -hmm. you could not drink it. So everybody drank beer all the time because it was safer, it was uh, uh, more purified than water. And um, if you're a fan of Shakespeare and you've heard the phrase small beer, it's not like they're ordering, you know, a child-sized beer. Um, and, man, it was like a very weak, watered-down, low-alcohol beer that you drank, like, all the time. So everybody was kind of a little bit drunk all the time. <laughs> yes. Just, just a little bit. Just a little drunk all the time. Their tolerances must have been through the roof. I mean, because this was like kids. Like everybody. You couldn't give your four-year-old a glass of water. You know what I mean? Like everybody drank beer. They basically went from breast milk to beer, huh? Yeah. So with all of that in mind, um, it really varies from place to place exactly what the difference between a tavern, a pub, and a bar is, mm -hmm. generally speaking, a pub and a tavern, a pub and a tavern can both be connected to hotels or not. Um, You're talking about like back when, you know, all this is developing. Cause... No, I'm talking about even today. Oh, because I see places call themselves pubs and they're not connected. Maybe it's just like they call themselves that as a fun thing without knowing this. Well, but I mean, they might have historically had rooms for rent, but I mean, like I said, they can or cannot be connected to hotels. Gotcha. Um, pubs generally serve, pubs and taverns generally serve a lot more food mm -hmm. um, and they may actually be connected with a restaurant. A tavern is more likely to be connected with a restaurant. Um, and uh, more... Age groups are welcome at these establishments instead of just the over-the-drinking-age crowd, which is generally the only people allowed in a bar. Um, a bar tends to have more standing room, and a tavern and a pub can include a bar because they'll have that high countertop, um, but they generally have a lot more seating. This all makes sense to me because when, as you're describing it, when I picture a pub or a tavern, I picture like, you know, kind of picnic sized tables, people sitting at benches, people sitting at tables, people ordering food. When I picture a bar, I picture people like moving around, throwing darts, shooting pools, standing around, talking, hanging out a lot more. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. the standing room thing makes a lot of sense to me because very rarely do I go to a quote unquote bar and see a lot of tables and chairs. There's usually like three or four, you know, sets of tables and chairs, but the rest is like open space. Right. And those games that you mentioned are probably more likely to be found actually in a pub. Oh, okay. Listen, I don't know. I just go and I drink <laughs> and I enjoy myself and I don't think twice about where I am. Well, like I said, these definitions are pretty fluid mm -hmm. depending upon where you are and and what this the social construct is gotcha um and also so a tavern and a pub will usually have a, a wider selection of beers and wines um and maybe even ciders whereas a bar tends to have a lot more of a hard liquor selection they'll they'll be offering mixed drinks and cocktails um as well as beer and wine gotcha um, and then the other thing that I'd like to make about the, the discussion between pub, tavern, and bar is, historically speaking, the entire community would gather at one of these public houses, uh, whereas a bar was more for, like, nightlife social sort of parts gotcha. of your life. Okay. That makes sense to me. Yeah. So, uh, for our, our American listeners, which I think is a big chunk, there's also American history that I kind of alluded to earlier in this, and I know this from um, Assassin's Creed 3, Oh I boy, think, video is, game. It is true. It is true. Those, those games are very historically accurate, Teresa Murray. Um, but the Green Dra Dragon Tavern uh, was a public house used as a tavern and meeting place in Boston, in Boston's North End. 
um, and the Sons of Liberty, the Boston Committee of Correspondence, and the Boston of Caucus, uh, the Boston Caucus would all meet there. It's where the Boston Tea Party was planned, um, and uh, Paul Revere set out from there uh, to Lexington on his famous ride. And so, where Assassin's Three takes place? Assassin's Creed. Does, I mean, you go there to plan the Boston Tea Party. It's oh, a thing. in in yeah, the game, in you the plan game. the. That's how I knew that it existed. I see. Um, but it it is. True, it is a true historical place, um, and and it is where a lot a lot of discussions and events would happen there. Because if you think about it, as like a meeting place where you could go have people do that now. Think of how many business deals and how many like you know big moves are probably done at bars and restaurants. If if you look through D.C., there's all of these restaurants where it's like, yeah, that's where everybody from the Senate goes. That's where everybody. That's Absolutely. Where, if you want to have a meeting, you go to this place and you have the clams or whatever. Yep. So it's still true to this day. Um, we have a ton of questions and a lot of them, as we mentioned, uh, we got help from Stuart and Charlene on. Um, do we want to have before we head to the break before we get to the questions? I would like for us to have a very brief five minute general discussion on bar etiquette. Okay. Um, so first and foremost, how do you pick the bar you want to go to? And this is like a personal question. This isn't like what Emily Post would say, but like you, Teresa McElroy, if you were like going to go to a bar for the first time, what are the kinds of things you would look up on Yelp or the website or whatever? Um, well, for me, let me think. It's important to me that a bar not be too, um, I guess, clubby. Mm -hmm. I I don't like to go to bars where I can't hear the person next to me speaking. So I want something that's a little more subdued. Um, if it has an outdoor space, that's also good for me because, again, the sound kind of dissipates in the outdoors. Um, I am looking for a small but curated selection of beers, wines, and cocktails. So I, the, I, the fancier the better is not really my motto. There's a reason why you and I are married, because I'm 100% the same way. Um, what I'm trying to get at here is that in this day and age, I, I think if you have a very specific purpose for wanting to attend, uh, wanting to visit, wanting to patronize a bar, um, you probably want to do a little bit of online research first. Because, like, if you're looking to have, like, an intimate first date or something, you don't want to get there and find out it's karaoke night or it's trivia night. You right. know what I mean? Um, but in general, I think, and we got this question a lot, so I think we can touch on it here. I think the opportunity to show your schmanners the most is in the process of, like, standing at the bar, waiting for a drink, that kind of thing. And the thing that always frustrates me the most that I see people do, and I know we try not to turn this into, let me tell you what other people do wrong. But what I try to do, especially if the bar is very busy, to keep in mind that my time is equally balanced to everyone else's time waiting for the bartender. So if they're down at one end and working their way down to me, that's just the way that it is. I think that you know, that's an important thing to keep in mind is like everybody's waiting and the bartenders are moving as fast as they can. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that um, my friend, uh, and well, our friend Rachel Kerbs taught me um, is if there is table service at a bar, if you have a server coming to your table to take orders from you, don't then go up to the bar and start a tab there. Right. Because what ends up happening is you're taking up a table, but you're tipping and paying out at the bar. So your server is kind of getting, I'm trying to think of a polite word, they're kind of getting uh, the short end of the stick as far as that goes, because that's one less table that they have, but all the tips are going to the bar staff. Um, right. So if you, if you have a, a server, order from the server. What other kind of general tips would you say? Well, from our friend Charlene, she says uh, that, like you said, in order to get attention from the bartender, the really the only thing that you have to do is stand up there, wait, and try and make eye contact. A good bartender will notice you 
and notice who came in before you and serve people in the order that they see them. Um, I would also say, and this is just a little trick I have, but it does help. And this isn't like, here's what you want to do. But if you have finished your drink and you have an empty in your hand, make sure it's sitting on the bar and visible and not like down below the level of the bar. Especially if you just like slammed your drink and Mm -hmm. are looking for another one. The bartender might not check in with you right away because they know that you just got a drink. But if you want another, make sure that your empty is very clear and obvious on the bar so they know like, oh, they're probably ready for another one. I should check in with them. Um, and, you know, also, I will say, um, and I, I have worked very briefly as a bartender. It was like a coffee shop slash bar. Um, but I would say that if the bar is relatively empty and the bartender is like, you know, doing dishes or something and you're ready for a drink, I don't see any harm in going, oh, excuse me, could I have another one? Like, now don't do that if they're very clearly slammed and helping eight other people at the time. But, like, I don't see any harm in saying, excuse me. Um, I'm ready for an- whenever you're ready. No rush. But if you get a chance, can I grab another one? Because they might not know that you're ready, especially if it's like three o'clock in the afternoon and they're trying to get ready for the dinner rush. You know what I mean? I don't see any harm in letting them know. Sure. All right. So let's take a quick break. We'll go uh, check in with some other Max Fun shows and then we'll come back and answer some of your questions. Hi, this is Griffin McElroy. Hi, this is Rachel McElroy. And we're the host of Rose Buddies. It's a podcast about the Bachelor family of products. We watch The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, and Bachelor in Paradise. Yes, it is garbage television, but we're the king and queen of this garbage pile. We're the raccoons in charge around here. So join us on Tuesdays. Because the TV show's on Mondays. And basically we'll recap what we saw and we'll just sort of scoop the garbage around us and make a little fort out of it. No viewing required. But it's it's a good TV show. What are you doing? <laughs> Hey guys, this is Adam Conover. You may know me from my true TV show, Adam Ruins Everything. Well, guess what? Now we're doing a podcast version right here on Maximum Fun. What we do is we take all the interesting, fascinating experts that we talk to for just a couple minutes on the show, and we sit with them for an entire podcast, really going deep and getting into the fascinating details of their work. Find Adam Ruins Everything wherever you get your podcasts or at MaximumFun.org. All right, so our first question comes from Noah question is this if i break a glass do i just sit there and watch them clean it up do i leave do i try to help it's so awkward and noah i totally understand i have been there before as well um i've never broken a glass because of course i'm very careful i'm not at all a clumsy person not at all a shrek but sometimes (laughs) glasses do get broken and it always feels weird right because if you were at someone's house you jump up and help them clean it. Well, of course you would. But at a bar, it's something that happens a lot more often than you think. In fact, so much so that Charlene says that they um, they clean glass, broken glass like every day. And every bar has their own system to take care of it. So what they do is they have a special box that they put all the broken glass into so that the person taking out the garbage doesn't get cut, which is a really great idea. Um, but you really shouldn't ever try to help. Um, they would much rather clean up broken glass than broke than uh, spilled blood. Um, so the best thing that you can do, Noah, is you can apologize, um, but don't expect them to refill another glass for you. You'll probably not have, for free. Not for I free. Mean, yeah, they'll probably get you a new drink if you ask. But- right, but you'll you'll probably have to pay for it. Um, but then just carry on. Keep doing what you're doing because that's what they're going to do too. The one thing Charlene doesn't, well, two things that I will add in here because I think Charlene is too nice to say so. If you break the glass and someone comes and cleans it, an extra little bit of tip in that round might not hurt. Because especially if it's a very busy night and someone had to come out and clean up your broken glass. And the other thing I'll say is if you... It's one thing, accidents happen. You know what I mean? Glasses, you have condensation on them, they get slippery, Mm -hmm. whatever. But if it's a result of maybe either you or someone you're with, maybe they've overindulged or you've overindulged and you were like drunkenly flailing around trying to make a point in a loud story you were telling and you smash a bunch of glasses, that might also be a very clear indication that your night has reached an end and it is time to call a cab or an Uber or a Lyft and head on home. 
Great advice, Travis. Hey, thanks. Um, this next question, what happens if I order a cocktail? Oh, this is from SJ Walrus on Twitter. What happens if I order a cocktail and the bartender doesn't have the ingredients for it? Then your bartender will very politely say, I don't have the stuff for that. What else can I get you? Yeah, I also, I've been in this, especially for feeling a little adventurous, to mm-hmm. say, well, do you have any ideas for a cocktail like that? Or in this, And let your bartender kind of like suggest something like well i can't make a purple mousse but i do have the ingredients to make you a drink called you know the green lizard and i think these are just uh legends of the hidden temple character (laughs) but like i can make you that um and maybe you try something new and you see if you like it you know what i mean sure i think that's a great idea um if it's especially busy one way to avoid this is to make very basic requests scotch and soda Gin and tonic, any of those sorts of things that any bar will have, you'll avo- you'll avoid this completely. If your bartender, and I'll say this for them, is super busy, don't order a mint julep. Oh, it takes yes. like forty five minutes to muddle the mint. It takes forever. And if you order, I will say though, if you order a complex drink, you better tip balanced with the complexity of it you know what i, I mean? agree it's one thing for them to like pop open a beer and hand you a beer it's another for you to order like a 15 ingredient you know drink that take that they have to like burn cinnamon for and muddle fresh thyme or whatever like okay keep in mind balance out the amount of time you're taking from them versus your tip you know what i mean absolutely um This is from Ross on Twitter. Sometimes places give me non-alcoholic drinks for free, but sometimes not. Any ideas on when and why? Um, Well, one, one source I found online said that some bars want to encourage designated driver. And if they see you come in with a large group of people, they may offer you a free soft drink, even if it isn't their policy, because you appear to be the designated driver. Um, it really just varies from bar to bar. And the only way that you're going to find out if it's free is if you ask. But don't ask, is it free? You, no. sh- you should ask, how much is a soda? Um, also, keep in mind that if the place does it out of like a soda fountain, soda gun, and it's just coming off of syrup... You know, they're way more likely for it to be free versus if they have to, like, open a can or a bottle that they usually use as mixers because then Mm. they're usually paying per can and there is a noticeable cost to giving that away for free versus just filling up a glass out of a gun, which is negligible as far as, like, the cost. So that could be why the difference. Um, That's a good point. Yeah. But, again, really the only way to know... Uh, is to ask how much a soft drink would be. Um, Jeremy Frank asks, do I tip on a drink that's comped by the bartender? Yes. <laughs> yes. It, you should tip on any drink that the bartender hands you, regardless of, of whether or not you've gotten it for free. Yes. That's the best way to make a good impression on that bartender. Yes. And also, usually, the okay, We've talked a lot about tipping on this show in the past, but let me break down a little thing for you here. Especially if you're talking about a bar with a lot of staff working. If you tip the bartender, that usually gets split between other bartenders working, between any bar back working. And a bar back is someone who is like washing uh, glasses, cleaning up the broken glass, running to get more stuff from uh, you know, a freezer or from storage. Refilling um, ice. Yes. And so you're tipping out to them. You're tipping out if there's a host. You're tipping out if there's someone working the door. You're tipping out. So you're usually not just tipping one person. Um, and so especially if you get the drink comped for any reason um, and you would like for that to ever happen again for you at that location, tipping is always encouraged. I, this is fun. When we went to uh, Scotland, uh, w- we realized day one we hadn't done a single second of research on tipping in Scotland. So we went up to the bartender at this bar we were at. Which was completely empty, Completely by empty. the way. Uh, it was a very interesting setup because it was a bar in like four different levels. And the second level was normally like a dance club level. 
but it was like eight o'clock at night, so no one was there. And we went to the bartender and we said, what's the policy on tipping here in Scotland? And he said, well, um, if you know the bartender, you can then buy, pay for a drink for them in return. Um, if they do exceptional service and you don't know them, it is okay to like tip, but it is not at all expected and not at all required. Um, but from my point of view, when in doubt, tip is always a good rule. And you might suffer a little bit of uh, potential embarrassment if they like slide whatever your money is back to you and go, we don't need that. Oh, okay. I'd rather have that embarrassment than like I leave and they think, wow, that guy was really stingy. What a real penny. But I'd much rather have someone be like, thank you, but unnecessary. Right. And like you said, that was in Scotland. Uh, tipping is is conventional in the United States. So you should tip on that drink. And um, we'll probably have some more questions about this, but the more time and complexity that goes into the drink, the more you should tip. Jess asks, saving seats? Should I? For how long? For how many people? Where's the line? Um, the line is, is you have to read the room for that line. Because if there is a full bar and you have a whole table and only you are sitting at it and nobody else, you really only have 10 to 15 minutes. Um, because after that, the, the service staff needs the space. They need to be able to put butts in those seats. And if your friends are gone, then they've given up their table. Um, but if it's not crowded... Or I've, if there's no servers. Or if you're if just talking about like the seating right. in a bar where the only service is bar service... Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd say 20 minutes is okay, half an hour tops, because they, that at that point means that um, someone else should be able to use that table. My personal gauge is the timer starts when the first person comes up to the table and asks if you're using the seats or if you're using the table or if they can have the... As soon as someone walks up and goes, I'm sorry, are... Could I, are you using, as soon as that happens, it's 15 minutes from there. Okay. Because what I don't want is for that to then persist and be like, oh, yes, I do need all these chairs. And then I sit there for 45 minutes, like not using the chairs at all mm -hmm. while other tables around me are getting up and leaving because they were already fit that. So for me, it's 15 minutes from the first time I'm asked if someone can take the chairs or something like that. Okay. I'm, I disagree slightly. Because I think that it takes a long time for people to uh, often screw up the courage to ask. Well, see, but that's why this, that's why my rule works, if I might defend it slightly. Because the more crowded, the more necessary it is, the sooner someone will ask you. Whereas, like, you know, if they get there and you're sitting at one table and it just happens to be, like, the six-top table and they have five people with them, like... They might wait longer because it's not super. Anyways, that's my personal gauge. But okay. I think we're kind of saying the same thing, which is kind of read the room a little bit. And I will also say, if you're there and you're waiting on like five people. Oh, okay. Here's another rule. How about that? <laughs> okay. You tell me what you think about this. More than half your party should be there before you sit down at a big table. If it's like a two-person table, three-person table, fine. But if you're sitting down at like a 10 seat table or something and you're the only one there, I think that you got there too soon. You at know that I mean? point, you should have had a reservation for that table. Yes. Uh, this question is from Katie. How do I politely turn down a drink bought for me by someone after it's already been made? Um, Charlene had a really great answer on this one as well. Um, she says that this particular scenario has actually been a mistake by the bartender. Um, the bartender should ask you if you want a drink before they make it. Um, and if they give you a drink that, that you haven't asked for or haven't uh, agreed to, that's not your fault at all um, because you have the right to turn down that drink at any time and you shouldn't feel bothered by the person that bought it to you because, again, it's the bartender's mistake. Um and you should never accept a drink from a stranger that brings you something. Uh, you should always only take the, the drink from the bartender after uh, you have agreed to actually having it. 
And I'll take that one step further and say, if this happens to you at a bar and you are made to feel uncomfortable not only by another patron, but by the staff, I say that you either stop frequenting that bar or you find a manager or you talk to a higher up and say, hey, I ended up feeling really uncomfortable because I didn't feel like I was being watched out for by the bartender or whatever. But I would say, if you're made to feel uncomfortable anywhere, don't go there again yes. if you can help Agreed. it. Yes, um, um, And Okay, well, let's ask this question. This is from Harry on Twitter. We kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. Do I tip if I just get water? And this is interesting because coming from L.A., almost everywhere you go in L.A., every bar you go to in L.A. has like a water station mm-hmm. set up so you can just grab your own like plastic cup of water without having to ask. But I would say if you ask for a drink and they make you a drink, yes, whether there's, whether there's alcohol in it or not. I agree. If the bartender hands you a glass, you should give at least a dollar um, because it's you are even though the materials don't cost as much as a drink that they've made like a cocktail, you're still taking the bartender's time uh, that they could be using to serve someone else who is buying a drink. Uh, So if they hand you a glass, you should leave a dollar on the bar. Um, I will also say just as a personal rule that maybe might help others, um, I treat tipping at a bar like buying chips at a casino I don't hand anybody money for the tip if I can help it. I put it down on the bar closer to their side than to my side. And then I walk away. Because if they hand me a drink and I'm like holding a dollar out at them. Mm -hmm. One, it feels weird. But two, especially if they're moving quickly, what they'll usually do is knock out a bunch of drinks and then go back and collect on the tips. You know what I mean? So to set your money on their side of the bar, and then walk away. Sounds good to me. Um, Speaking of that, um, somebody asked, and I can't find the question. I might not have put it on here. But somebody asked about, like, what it means to, like, start a tab for those who have never been to a bar before. And this is, um, I think, important because in this day and age, uh, with, you know, cards and cash and all that different stuff, Bars vary. It varies bar to bar what it means. Because sometimes you'll give them your card. They'll run the card. They'll hand it right back to you. Sometimes you'll hand them their your card. They'll keep your card. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they won't let you order drinks unless you give them a card or something like that. Or, you know, some bars are cash only. That kind of thing. I think it is important um when someone asks you know like when someone takes your card give it a second if it's a new bar that you've never been to before and kind of like see how that goes but do know and this is going to sound a little paranoid before but i've seen it happen i once went to a bar and it was a bar in huntington and it is a bar known for like on Wednesday nights, they did like $5 all you can drink until the beer ran out, until the taps ran dry. So people would get very, very, very drunk. And then what happened was this guy opened a tab for himself. And this was definitely a mistake on the bartender's part. But all of his friends started going up and putting drinks on his tab. Ooh. And he came back to found, find that his tab was something like $400. Um, and he was very upset and it led to a big old fight that basically shut down the bar that night. Um, so I don't know what the actionable advice there is. Well, the actionable advice is whoever is paying for the drink should go up and get them from the bartender. Also true. Uh, if, if say, Travis and I go to an establishment, Travis usually gets the drink because Travis hands him the card. Or him or her, the bartender, the card. Correct. Um, if I go up and I get a drink on his tab, it's, it's kind of dicey. Um, we frequent the same places over and over, so they know that we've come in together. But if I went to a new place, it would not be a good idea because they wouldn't know that I was his wife. And so it puts the bartender in an awkward position. They don't want to put 
extra drinks on someone's tab that they they don't know yeah and that that also happens especially like if a new friend shows up at the bar someone shows up that hasn't already been there i mean and Mm -hmm. you're like yeah tell them to put a drink on my tab Uh, no that feels weird and like you don't want to start that as a practice just be a little bit more careful with yeah the person who's paying for the drink should go up and ask for the drinks but that is what if a bartender ever asks you do you want to start a tab it means do you want to give me a card and i hold that card open instead of you having to pay drink by drink right this question comes from julia are there rules slash steps to be followed in becoming a regular in a bar Charlene had a really interesting take on this, and I think that um, that the first thing that that she said is actually the is most important. You want to make sure that that's what you really want. If you want to be a regular, because it's going to take time and effort and money. Um, she says that it is a lot of work and it can be expensive because it's not just about going there all the time. Um, a bartender who has regulars knows that those regulars can are people that they can really count on um, because if the bar is uh, if the bar is crowded, the regular is the person that the bartender knows can wait until everybody else is done. They can wait to get their drinks later. They can um, they can be count on counted on to tip a little more. Um, and they never ask for free drinks. So they also might be the person who stays a lot longer because they, you know, if you're friends, if you're a regular, that means that you're friends and you look out for your friends. So if maybe someone is is creepy hanging around the bar, a regular is someone who will stay there until that creepy person leaves. And it's little things like Katie asked, take empties to the bar or wait for someone to collect. If you're making a trip to the bar to get another drink, take up the empty glasses with you. Right. Save someone a little bit of time. That's something that Charlene says they can count on regulars to do. Exactly. Um, This question is from Kate. Is there a polite way to opt out of the rounds system and just buy your own drinks? Now, uh, in case you're listening, you don't know. Basically, what Katie's referring to is a very common habit of someone going, I'll get this round of drinks. I'll pay for everyone's drinks at the table. And then basically it kind of starts this chain reaction of like person A gets the first round, person B gets the second round, person C gets the sixth round. Uh, Now, this can be very tricky um, if you're talking because we also had a question from Katie. How many people is okay to limit rounds at? Because if you are at a table of like 10 people, Mm -hmm. it could get very sticky because person A buys a round. Right. For all 10 people. And it never makes it to person G to get their rounds. You know what I mean? Right. So it ends up a couple people get to drink for free all night while the first five people pay for everything. Right. That's something to keep in mind. I mean, right there is like if there's more people than you think you're going to have rounds, maybe paying for everybody's drinks all at once. Unless you're feeling very magnanimous and you want to just pay for the whole night yourself. Which, if it's someone's birthday or something, that's usually something you can do in lieu of a birthday present if you're feeling very generous. Mm-hmm. But that's something to keep in mind is like, if you're going to pay for 20 people's drinks in a round, it's probably not going to pay off in the end. Um, so to answer the first question, I think the easiest way to opt out of the rounds system is to not request drinks from people who are going up. So, like, when someone says, I'll get this round while everybody have. All right. Three three buds and a Corona? Great. And then they go up. If you haven't said what it is that you want, they are not going to get that for you. Yeah. And if you're feeling weird to say, you know, I'm just not ready to order yet. I'll just get my own. Yeah. If they ask, you know. Once again, though, you might end up in one of those situations where someone doesn't take you at your word. Because that's the problem there. It's, it's, I know I just said it. But saying, oh, I'll get my own can be heard as I don't want to impose on your generosity and ask for you to pay for a drink for me. And the person might then like insist like, no, I'm happy to what can I get you? You know what I mean? What would you say in that circumstance? Um, I would say slow your drinking way down, because if your glass isn't empty, they won't offer to get that you is something. true. If you can get out of the timing, yeah, I'm just not ready yet. I'll get my own. Yep. And then um, as far as like what you said about the rounds system, 
Um, you, I think that you should probably limit it to if you have more than three people, uh, you probably should just all get your own so that you don't end up, like you said, the last person not buying anything. This question is from Alex. Um, if you're at a bar that serves cocktails, but you want a cocktail that isn't on their menu, is it okay to ask if the bartender will make it for you? Absolutely. Um, if it's a standard cocktail, they should have those things. Um, and uh, Charlene, in fact, she says that a cocktail list is really just a list of suggestions for people who may not know what they want to drink or, or if they want to try something new, different, or special. But uh, most cocktails are are things that you are known recipes. So um, if... You ask for something, the bartender will be able to put it together for you. And and if it's not crowded, you ask for something the bartender doesn't know, you can explain the recipe to them. Um, So before we wrap up, I thought of a couple more general tips that I would like to share from my years of experience with people very quickly. Because I think probably people can hear in the background, (laughs) BB's getting fussy. Couple of things. When you are at a bar... Before you really engage yourself in a night of drinking, kind of gauge what the atmosphere is. And that should gauge how much you indulge. You know what I mean? Like there are some bars that you go to are very clearly like, hey, this is the kind of bar you go to. You drink all day. You you play bocce ball on the lawn. And like, that's what we do here. There's some bars where it's like, listen, you go here. And this is where everybody just sits and quietly contemplates their drink and doesn't really want to interact with anyone else. Or this is the kind of bar you go when you get raucously loud at and yell at football games on the TV. <laughs> like that kind of thing kind of gauge that because I would say same as a party where there is drinking. You never want to be the drunkest person there ever. It's a bad look. Also, I've learned in my time the... Level at which alcohol affects you, and I think that this is placebo, but the level at which it affects you, I think, varies between whether you are at home or you're at a bar. And I think it comes down to if you're in a social uh, experience and everybody's drinking, you tend to drink faster at a bar, consume more. Because if you think about, like, if you're at a bar for two hours and you drink as much as you would, like, sitting around with friends at home in four hours... Got to be careful. But in all things, don't drink and drive. Absolutely. And plan on that. If you're going down to the bar and you know you're going to drink there, don't drive your car there. In this day and age with Lyft and Uber, and even if you can't do Lyft and Uber, even if it's not in your area, have a designated driver and stick to it and make sure it's not the same person every time and that there's some kind of like, we'll pay for gas you designate, or we'll pay for your dinner when we go to the restaurant, something. But plan ahead of time because, like, don't fool yourself. Like, well, I'll drive down there, but I'm, I'll be fine. Like, no, you're going to a bar to drink. Don't drive your own car. Thanks for that PSA, Travis. I'm a dad now, and I worry about everyone all the time, 24-7. <laughs> if you exist, I am worried about you. Um, but more than anything, like, bars are, I think, one of the things that – you have expressed when you talk about taverns and public house, bars are a communal experience. You know what I mean? Everybody's there. Everybody's in the space at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so keeping that in mind and knowing that you're all kind of like sharing an experience, even if you're not sitting at the same table, that a certain modicum of respect should be afforded to everybody in the bar at the same time. The bar doesn't just exist for your enjoyment at that time. You know what I mean? Everyone's there. Um, So I think that's going to do it for us. Um, That's another club banger episode, I would say, of of Schmanners. Um, I do want to plug a couple things. One, um, I'm working on a new project that I think the listeners of this show will really like. Uh, It's called Surprisingly Nice, and it's a new podcast hosted by myself and my friend and fellow Max Funster, Hal Lublin. Um, Basically, Hal and I are going to sit down uh, with celebrities and people that we are both fans and friends of and have a very nice conversation with them. The tagline is, a nice show with nice guests 
for nice people. And uh, we're going to sit down and ask them questions, some generated by us, some generated by our listeners, um, and just have a very pleasant conversation with them. And kind of the hook of it is there will be a 45-minute version of every episode made available for free to everybody. Um, and then there will be an extended version uh, for a dollar and all sales uh, from that episode will go to benefit a charity of uh, that guest's choosing. So each episode will be its own little uh, charity fundraiser. Um, and you can find the promo for it on uh, iTunes or, you know, uh, Bandcamp bit.ly forward slash surprisingly nice. Uh, our first episode is going to be Adam Savage. We're sitting down with him this weekend. I'm so excited. I'm a huge fan and I also like him as a person. Um, but we're very excited to share it with you. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to start a new project. It's 2017. Time to out with the old and with the new and start a new project. Um, Sounds great. I also want to say, um, thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing this with a friend. You can follow us on Twitter at SchmannersCast, S-H-M-A-N-N-E-R-S. Um, you can email us. Also, we uh, do Jumbotron messages, which we haven't done in a while. But if you would like to, say, wish someone a happy birthday or happy anniversary or just say, hey, thanks for being awesome. Or if you have a business that you would like us to mention on the show, you can go to MaximumFun.org forward slash Jumbotron. Um, and and buy a message, help support our show, and do something nice for someone else. Um, you can f uh, join our Facebook group. Uh, just search Schmanners. There's not a lot of other Schmanners on <laughs> Facebook. I think you'll find us. Um, check out all the other amazing Maximum Fun shows. Um, if you're listening to this on Friday when it is out uh, tomorrow, Saturday the 14th, I will be in San Francisco. Um, I'll be performing in Jordan Jesse Go uh, at 1 o'clock. Um, and doing uh, Joseph Scrimshaw's Obsessed at 4.30, uh, both of those with the San Francisco Sketch Fest. So if you're interested in, in attending, you can just go to San you know, Google San Francisco Sketch Fest and find those shows on the schedule. Uh, and I hope to see you there. Uh, oh, we want to say a very special thank you to Stuart Wellington and his wife, Charlene. Um, go check out the Hinterlands Bar if you're in New York City. Um, and go check out the Flophouse um, that Stuart is on. And it's also my favorite bad movie podcast. Um, it's also a maximum fun and we're big fans of it. Uh, let's see. What else, Teresa? Well, as always, we want to thank Brent Bruntlefloss Black for our theme song. And you can find that theme song as a ringtone. Um, also want to thank Kayla M. Wassel. Go check out her portfolio. She did great work for us on our thumbnail and banner art. And um, I would like to thank, again, Stuart and Charlene. Uh, Charlene was really great in answering a lot of these uh, your questions. So I think that's going to do it for us. Um, join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners, Schmanners. Give it. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.